Did you know that one in three restaurants will fail in its first year of business? It's true. The restaurant industry is one of the toughest industries to be in. But today, we are talking to some of the most successful restaurateurs out there. And they are going to be sharing their tips and advice with us on how they've made it. So get your notebooks ready. You'll definitely want to take some notes on this one. We'll be chatting with Memphis Garrett, Donatella Arpaia, Matt Dinkle, and Jennifer Kaminsky. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm very excited to have my friend and fraternity brother, Memphis Garrett, here on the show. Memphis, thanks for joining us. Yeah, man. It's an honor. How did you do it? You know, how did you say, all right, I'm here. My son's here. I'm going to be a little risky. I'm leaving a company I was with for 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go out and start a pokey shop where your friend's like, you're crazy? Or are they like, no, man, I believe in you. We got this. Uh, a lot of people thought I was crazy because they were like, Hey, you went for a job that you went from a job that you were making a decent amount of money. Yeah. Solid six figures. I'm definitely. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Way over six figures and, or way over whatever. I was on way over the hundred K mark and I was living a good life and I could kind of live where I wanted to live. Like SB had venues all over the fucking world. Like I could have gone wherever. Right. Um, and I think it was more the idea that I knew that even when I started 12 years prior to SB, there was going to be, I wanted more. I wanted to achieve more. I wanted to take on more, all this stuff. And I think that was something that pushed me along. I was like, okay, I think this is the time to do it. And I feel good about it. But I took, like, I carved out a small salary out of the budget to pay me. And I was making less than half of what I was making. And that was something that it fired me up too. Like it made me like, it gave me that like fire and that that energy back of like okay I think this has got to work this has got to make sense <laughs> I got to make this work but I tell you what I did this is this is what I tell people like Jacob Zamora is my operating partner the president of my company and he made this jump you know a, almost a year ago to come work for me and left <laughs> you know Carna at Bahamar and I told him this and I tell a lot of people this I'm thinking about leaving a company going out on their own if you're good at what you do. You can always go get a job, whether being the GM or the director of ops at Outback Steakhouse. So don't get too caught up in it. Mm -hmm. 
That's true. So if you're good in hospitality, if you're good, you there will always be a job for you at Outback. I always say Outback. I don't fucking know why, but it's just I just but, those, but, those onion rings, man. No, no, it's just the Move point is this. Like the the whole point of it is this idea that if if you're good, just like you, Steve, if you wanted to go back in it, you could get a job that paid you really well tomorrow. Let's be honest. Yep. And I True. think that's something, as long as you, you know, you've had that, what we talked about earlier is like, as long as you have that trust and like, you're good, people will hire you. And so that's what I tell people. And that's, that's really was me. I was like, shit, I can go. If, if this all blows up tomorrow, I can go work and get a job and, and be fine. And I still yes. tell myself that today when I'm signing another lease in another city and I'm like, Hey, if this is all blows uh, tomorrow. <laughs> that's, that's where, that's where I want to start getting into. So you got your pokey house. When do you know you're doing well? Like, all right, it's time for another one. I don't, I don't or know. Or just like, it was just part of it. Like, Hey, yeah. we're going to, I think I need what more I, brands. What I started seeing was this, I was kind of this SB ingrained in my brain and what SB, whether it's good or bad, I'm not really sure yet, but it's this idea that, uh, once it starts running, I was like, okay, what's next? Once it's settled and leveled, what's next, what's next. And I started doing that and I, I started pushing out other brands and concepts and, and I, you know, I took a, I took a bath on a couple of ideas and concepts and partnerships and I learned the hard way. And my, my thing is like, if you're going to take the L, just take it as a lesson. And I, and I, I do, and I, and I don't think I would change those, those concepts that didn't work out for anything. I think it taught me a viable lesson that now when I work out a new deal, I'm very reserved in certain manners or I, I don't push too hard. I, I, I've come to the conclusion that if it's supposed to happen, it's going to happen. Obviously, you got to put work in. But if there's certain red flags or certain things that you're like, oh, you're, oh I'm okay with that. Let it go. Now I don't. I'll just take a step back and be like, hey, if, it's, if that project's not supposed to go, it's not supposed to go. So, but I do have that in me. Like I'm always, I'm always working on the next project. And that's kind of like my company now. My main focus is raising capital, uh, finding new deals, putting people in the room, hiring, you know, building the corporate side of the team and, and, and growing the brands and finding that. And, and now that we're growing as much as we are, that's more than enough for me to handle. And yeah. Jake really handles the day-to-day -day, um, of the teams and the GMs and everything on, on the boots on the ground. But it's, uh, I don't think you're ever going to be, it's only like having a kid. You got kids, I got kids. Yeah. But it's like, you're yeah. never going to be like, I'm ready for this <laughs> ever. Like, I think there's always that you want it and you want what's, what's going to come. But, but I don't know if you ever just sit there and say, okay, now it's time for me to go out on my own and do it. I think you just got to do it, but you have to put the work in before. That's what I tell people. I'm like, find a company. Cause I don't know if you get this. I always used to get this. Well, I want to do what you do right now. Oh, yeah. like, Great. Well, I'm 39 and, and I've been going at this for a long time, but I go, People want everything now. I knew I needed to put 10 plus years in with a company like SBE to really learn and grow and figure things out and, and do all that. And right now, I don't know if people understand that it takes that time to learn everything. It takes, and sit, it's all situational too. It's certain, you know, you have just to put the reps in, yeah, all the reps in because yeah. every, like you said, you got punched in the face three times. Like, all right, how do I fix this? How do yeah. I not get punched in the face? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So. But yeah, I think uh, it's a it's a thing that you just got to know that you got to continue to work on those things. And I mean, how many hotels have you worked at? I mean, shit. Yeah, five now, and they're all completely different. All completely different, different, all different right? cultures. Like, yeah. And that's the thing. It's like every city that I've opened venues in is the idea. And I tell tell this to a lot of people. It's like 
you can't come into Miami and have a restaurant in Vegas and say, okay, we're going to do it exactly like we do in Vegas. And we're going to copy paste it because that's our brand. No, it doesn't work like that. Different market, different people, different experience. People want different things. And I'm not just talking about food, but that is an element of it. But I'm talking about the way they, the way they done, the way they make a reservation, the way they check out the way, everything. It's like, it, you kind of have to have an open mind. You definitely have to have an open mind and you have to really dissect. I like at every venue that I open, I always try to dissect the SOPs and I say, let's go back to square one. I'm not saying we're going to rewrite the whole fucking manual, but I want to look at everything and I want everyone's opinion on like, Hey, should this be updated? Should this change? Not only because we're in a different city, but it's a different time. This was a year ago. This was two years ago. Sometimes these, this was four years ago. This has some different. If you don't, if you're not looking on how people are dining differently, then you're losing the edge. Right. And I'm not saying that I always, the way that we order, the way we, you know, get your check. There's a lot of different things. I think they just need to be looked at. I'm not a big fan. I'm, I'm kind of like an old school guy when it comes to like, I kind of want to check and I want to write it on a piece of paper and I want to do this whole thing. I want the server to write the, <laughs> the whole mm -hmm. thing down and go to the terminals. We don't even do that anymore. Like at least at my venues, like we don't, but it took me a lot to wrap my head around like, Hey, this is an evolution. Let's, let's get behind it. Let's not be so stuck. And when I say we, I say me, it's right. like, don't be so stuck in your way, but I kind of old school. Like I like that, you know, but, but we're moving and we're progressing. And I think the way that we eat and we dine and we, we, everything, it just completely shifts constantly, you know? Yeah. And I think I see it just in your places, right? So talking about the way people eat and dine, you know, yeah, you had your places and a lot of them were like QSR, like quick service places. Right. And then you open up. Yeah. Yeah. Now you got Yamas was the first big one where I was like, whoa, this is going to be yeah. like a mix yeah. of everything you've learned yeah. really in one place. So. The Nomads was before that. So right. Nomads was the first kind of like full service restaurant, cocktail lounge. You know, we have a fall, small shareable plate menu. I say small, there's probably like 16 items, but they're all shareable, right? It's kind of like you come in with a group of friends, you order a bunch of stuff, you order a bunch of cocktails, and that's kind of how it's dined. And that was one of those things where like, I kept seeing people dining more in a shareable aspect mm -hmm. rather than, okay, I want my entree, I want my app, and that's how they eat. I started to see this trend of like people kind of just, they want it to be the social affair where like, okay, let's order five or six different things. And everyone kind of picks off each other's plates and stuff like right. that. And that's what no man's is. It, the, all the plates are done like that as a shareable, um, and super high in cocktail lounge, dark, sexy, you know, live music, jazz, the whole, the whole nine. And it's kind of like this throwback city bar as feel on Friday and Saturday. It's three deep at the bar. It's busy. But the craft cocktails are no joke and it's serious, but holds 50, 60 people max. And that's tight. Um, but that was kind of the first one where I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to like my, my, what I know best. And right. the reason I did that was what I did was I was doing contract work before that. I did the Dalmar opening where I was, uh, got contracted for a year to open all the F and B and kind of lead that team, hire the people, train them and open. And I saw this like, we opened the lobby bar, which was one of the most beautiful lobby bars there are. I definitely yeah, I've seen it. It's top, beautiful. Top, you know, top in Florida, definitely top five or five or 10. We did live music. I saw this clientele in Fort Lauderdale. It was kind of like 30s to 50 year olds, at disposable income, wanted to have a good time. Didn't want to be in like a, a bar that vibe that, but they wanted to spend money. And that 
sparked my interest a lot. And I was like, okay, I didn't realize Fort Lauderdale was there yet. I knew it was getting there, but that's when I knew that like, okay, the next, and that's why I built Nomads. That's literally like, that was the reason because I saw this happening. So your case study, you had it right there. So I took a contract to open Joya Beach in Miami with Mio Delanovich and Chris Pacello. I remember seeing you there because that's right where I live. Yeah, yeah. Lying. So I opened that project, which was one of the hardest openings I've ever done. And I've done a lot. It, I've heard that was just like one thing after the other. Well, you try to build a beach club in the middle of a beach with no water or, or sewage. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and surface no kitchen. <laughs> airlifting it it was literally like it was it was crazy man it was one of the hardest openings but it, you know it was we made it happen right we made it happen while i was doing that contract i was working on um nomads i was remodeling it and and working on that concept and and then we launched our one year anniversary for nomads is november november 3rd That's so fast but uh so is that so, yeah, investors? So, is that investors? Is that your company making enough money to be able to open places? A little like, bit of both. I, at this point, we're we have uh, enough money. Well, I whatever, however you want to put it. But yeah, it was a lot. It was a it was a little bit of both. Like we brought in local investors to kind of push the marketing side and uh, pay on a little bit of the build out and stuff like that. And then we do the same thing with Yamas. We have a you know we have carbon a little bit for some local people. That's kind of our model. We bring in local investors that were influential in the market, whether they sell one of our guys is a big realtor, the other one's a big yacht broker. So they want to be out, they want to be seen, they have a little bit of disposable income that they can invest, but ultimately it helps us out to pushing that, pushing that people market. market. Got it. But yeah, then Yamas, which was, you know, which was a concept that, that I had always thought about, you know, um, Ashley, my first wife is, is, uh, is Greek and, um, it was something her uncle was a chef and it was like, you know, we'd go and just have breakfast and it'd be like a damn platter of table full of food. And like this whole idea of like the Greek culture and the way that they eat and the dine and that, that vibe. And I was like, I'm going to take this and I'm going to turn it into a, just what I call fun dining. So I take the element of like service and everything is on a fine dining level, but we're just going to make it fun and have it more expert experiential and like just a good time and i think that's what people want to do now right yeah well, I've I've, it. it's I've, like a mix of i gotta go in person and shame on me for not being yeah, there i'll be there next week i'm coming next week to, to hang with you it's okay you know i see it and to me i see beautiful food and then you can party on the tables yeah right? like depends what mood <laughs> yeah. you want to be in yeah. yeah i love it yeah so that concept is doing extremely well and you know we opened uh this past year uh, I think February, March, so right at the end of season, you know, kind of once we got open, it was like end of season. So we've been, you know, the dog days of summer, but, but right now we're, we're excited. We're gearing up for the season and we're ready to rock. And we just signed Yamas West Palm beach on Clematis. So we're going to wow. be right there by the park. So that's going to open early season next year, which super excited about the brand. And then, and then, yeah, I mean, we just continue to rock and roll. We have Chicago, Yamas, Memphis happening too next year. So proposition from Sun Studios. That's and cool. Chicago is, we have, I mean, Chicago is being remodeled right now. And it's a new concept that I have that I came up with. It's called Lady May. So the idea there is Southern coastal. So kind of like the Kentucky Derby meets Charleston, that kind of vibe. And the idea, the whole tagline is an ode to Southern charm. Right. So like, kind of that pinky up caviar, high spirits kind of feel is what we're really going for. But we're actually doing that now. It'll open early next year. 
And we're doing one in Fort Lauderdale too. That's the one we're doing above Yamas. So that should be next year too. So wow, that's going to be a cool spot. Yeah. Little Greek food or go upstairs and get some Southern hospitality. Yeah. So we're rocking and rolling, man. And, and, you know, our model is we're going to continue to grow and do deals that make sense and, and grow the company and our footprint. Like what the difference for us is like, we want a hundred to 125 seats, 130 max, you know, footprints of 2,500 to 3,500 square feet Smart. where we can control the vibe and the energy. The biggest thing is like these great, yeah, I would love to have a restaurant that had 400 seats and whatever, but like. The problem with that is, yeah, you can make a lot of money and you can lose a lot of money, but you, it's very tough to control that, that, that the narrative of the night and how it feels for people and the guest experience. It's tough. And what we've been able to achieve with a smaller space and a smaller footprint is like, it's going to be a good time, like no matter what. So no, I think you're nailing it and you're building a great team, you know, Jake loved working yeah. with Jake. He's I mean, that guy is like two different places together. He's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, that guy, I mean, he, he has been like, he's one of the best decisions I've made business-wise probably ever. So he is, uh, he's a leader and he leads that team and he's, he's really, really good. And he's, he's my partner. So couldn't do anything that we're doing right now. We've opened four venues in the past year. So we did West Palm Beach Pokey. We did Plantation Pokey, No Man's Land and Yamas in a year. So we opened four venues in 12 months. And the, the goal is to do four more of this, the next 12, so. Well, listeners, you got to come out and support Memphis and his whole group because he's doing amazing things. I'm going to come out and see you next week. I want to end on this because you've given a lot of great information. But if you were, you know, you've been all over the world, you've been on TV twice, right? You're building restaurants out. You got a beautiful family now. Yeah, my wife. I got married. <laughs> I know. Listen, I saw. Congratulations, man. Christmas. You know? Christmas Abbott, man. She's, 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 she's my motivator. She puts me, she gets me up. That's what we need. But now, if you were going back to young, we always say Memphis, but young Robert back in Chili's, right? And he was starting out today on your team. What would you tell him to do to be successful in hospitality? I would say learn everything you possibly can. Ask as many questions as you can and try to get, try to get every job. Like, and that sounds crazy, but try to take every job, whether it's from a busser to a server to a bartender. Don't think that you're above any single job in what we do, because even as an owner now, I'm the one plunging that damn toilet. If no one else will, or if I see it, I'm going to do it. So, you know, we're not above what we do. We do what we do because we love it. And at the end of the day, do every job. Today, I'm thrilled to have Matt Dinkle, the general manager of Mandolin Aegean Bistro, one of the hottest restaurants in all of Miami. How, how did that go down in your mind, right? Because you're direct food and beverage at the Dalmar. You go through this battle during COVID, which I know anyone that's been through it, including myself, you you form a special bond with those people that you went through it yeah. with. Yeah. And then you get a call from one of the top restaurateurs in the country to do something with what, what, how'd they, how'd you make that decision? So it, it was, it was tough because of the, purely because of the emotional, bond I had with the team at the Dalmar and the owners at Dalmar put a lot of faith in me and they trusted me to run their business. But in, in the end, I've always wanted to have my own restaurant. So I, when I have made decisions, it's because I'm trying to further either my education or my personal growth to a point where I can one day have my own restaurant. And now, as opposed to when I took the Minionette job, I was had not even turned 30 yet. I was turning 30. Now I'm getting ready to turn, I turned 38 in September. You learn a lot 
in especially the last two years, it's been like the last two years, it felt like a decade of learning. And I felt like it put me in a position where I could potentially one day have my own restaurant or at least learn from somebody or the best, one of the best to ever do it on how I should go about it. And getting to open the Drexel with that team was, it, it was amazing. You know, just like any opening, there's a lot of delays and a lot of things that can be incredibly disheartening, but because of Mandolin being around and Mr. Mandolin, there were, I was helping at Mandolin for a few weeks at a time, working at Mr. Mandolin, which is at the Vagabond Hotel uh, through the summer and helping them put things in place. We opened a cafe at the Vagabond. So the, this pre-opening was different than any other pre-opening I've done before. We were choosing all the CGS. It wasn't a Marriott guide. This is what you have to serve on. It, we got to really define the entire brand. And I got to be involved in some of that process for Drexel. I got to create the entire cocktail menu, work with Ahmed on the wine list and hire all the employees. And it was trying to not use hyperbole. It was the best opening um, I've ever been a part of. We were such a great team. Everybody there, it's still a great team there. If you haven't been, I can't recommend it enough. It's my favorite restaurant in all of South Beach. And the, the team was so committed. And I spent a lot of time at pre-shift talking about how much it means to me and how much it needs to mean to everybody, all the small things. And that entire team bought into every single thing I said. And for the first time, I was like, this, I feel like we cracked the code. Like, I feel like we figured it out. And I remember our first guest, or right around our first guest, their first night of service, they sat on table 201. There was two people visiting from New York City. And, you know, I, they kind of looked a little, just, it looked like they weren't really enjoying everything. So I walked over to the table, I introduced myself, and I said, you know, how is everything? Are you enjoying your experience? And, you know, they were almost crying. They were like, for the first time in two years, I feel like I'm having dinner in the city. And being compared to a restaurant in New York City might be the biggest compliment you can ever get for an independent restaurant in Miami. Um, and it, I just felt like we we nailed it. You know, this was great. Ten days into service, Ahmet comes to me and says, I want you to be the GM at Mandolin. And I had no idea what to do or, or think. I was like, we just opened this beautiful, perfect little restaurant. And now 10 days into it, I'm, you want, you want me to leave? Have I done something wrong? And it was confusing. I didn't, I thought this was, this was the plan. We're doing this. And, you know, it was uh, an opportunity was there to go to Mandolin, which as you've mentioned is one of the most beautiful, romantic, intimate, busiest restaurants in the entire world. And to be the leader of a team like this and in a space like Mandolin is just, it's an opportunity that, only two, two other people in the entire world have ever had that opportunity. So to even be considered was a real honor. And it's three and a half months into it and it's over delivered. It's been uh, an incredible learning experience. It's been so far the highlight of my career, being just being part of this team, let alone being the leader of the team. And to see what the brand has coming moving forward. And, you know, it's, it's an incredibly exciting time to be part of this. And it's funny, you know, and I want to brag for you a little bit because I don't see you as the person to brag for yourself. But, you know, for, for listeners and you haven't been there, Mandolin is now like the hot, hardest restaurant to get into in the city. You have billionaires, 
actors, locals, anyone. Everyone's trying to get into where Matt is working. And, you know, I've been there and it's a, a great spot. But what do you think it is that draws people to that restaurant? Why does everybody want to go there? Well, it's hard to say. It's here, working here, we just call it Mandolin Magic. There's just something here that, you know, it's mostly outdoors in a city where it rains almost every day for at least five minutes. And people love sitting outside. They love being out there when it rains. There's no music at Mandolin. You only hear hospitality sounds, just glasses clinking and silverware. And it's just an incredibly natural experience that you walk through our beautiful blue gate and you are not in Miami anymore. It really takes you away to another place, and it, it really is amazing. I, it's you know, the team is completely bought into everything that happens here. It's you know, we have people that have worked here for the entire twelve years that Mandolin's been open, and we have people that have worked here for twelve days, and you can't tell them apart. It's something happens when you work here. You're just kind of transformed into you know, part of the restaurant, and it's. Uh, it's just very difficult to explain. I mean, you can come here during the day and it's beautiful. You're outside, there's birds everywhere. The orchids are blooming. The trees are beautiful. It, but when you come here at night for dinner and it's just oil lanterns on the tables and it's incredibly intimate, it's a large restaurant. It's about 200 seats, but every single table you're at, you feel like you're the only table in the restaurant. And it, it's just once it's just one of a kind experience. It's I don't know how else to explain it. It's just a very natural experience. It's incredibly even I romanticize the restaurant a lot. I do this a lot at the tables, but it, it it's just incredibly special. It's very hard to explain. Um, the pictures look beautiful, but it's even once you step inside, it's just a real it's it's a game changer. It's the most beautiful restaurant in Miami. And you say you've been there now almost four months. And are yeah. you in the learning stage or are you making an imprint of any of your like style in there? So a little bit of both. There's a lot to learn at mm -hmm. Mandolin. There's a lot. Uh, you know, we're open for 11 hours a day, nonstop. We have, a, you know, we start with about eight servers in the morning at 1030, setting up the entire restaurant. There's a shift change at 345, which is like a real changing of the guard, checks opening and closing and multiple people moving in and out at the same time. And we're still serving the whole time. We don't stop. So that's different than anything I've ever been part of before. So managing that process and finding ways to, you know, tweak or improve, there's not a whole lot to improve, but, you know, I, I think that's also kind of the challenge for me is to find how can we as a team move Mandolin up the next level and how can we keep pushing? Uh, there's definitely some things, mostly because of my diverse background between rooms and consulting. And I have a, what I feel like is a really great financial understanding of like the behind the scenes. And that's a part of the restaurant that most of the managers here have not really been exposed to. So just sharing that information with them, like what the decision you just made, what does that really mean for us? And what are all the possible outcomes? And I, I feel like I'm starting to make an impact. I definitely, the staff is reacting to me. I mean, it's, I get here usually at 10 o'clock in the morning. I leave between nine and 10 at night. And I walk into the restaurant clapping as loud as I can. So the whole restaurant knows I'm here. It's time to wake up. It's pre-shift. Let's get ready. And it's, it's an incredibly happy place. I think Mandolin has definitely had more of an impact on me than I have on Mandolin so far, but I'm looking forward to see the benefits. I think that's a, a great way to say it. So Matt, you've been, you come from a 6,000 person town, in Indiana. You've been, 
to Hawaii, you've come down to Florida, now you're running the most popular restaurant arguably in the country. If you could go back to Matt starting out in that pizza shop and you could give advice to that person, if they were starting in hospitality today, what advice would you give young Matt? Well, hands down, you have to love every single step of the process. And it's not just about selling the good bottle of wine. It's about making sure your entire section is the best looking section. You have to love all the minutia that goes into hospitality. It's really a sum of a lot of small parts and take pride in your work and be confident and just give your best. If you love your team and you work with your team as hard as possible and they see you working with them, you'll go, they'll carry you forever. And just remember you're in it with a bunch of other people and it's one big team to make it happen. You can't do it all on your own. Today, I'm very excited to have celebrity chef, motivational speaker, restaurateur, and attorney, Chef Donatella Arpaia. Mate, why'd you move here? So my husband, who is a famous cardiothoracic surgeon, and I, we had our six-year-old son, and we were living the life in New York, and the winters were getting colder, and I felt like we have a home in Connecticut on the lake, and we were just running out there. And then I found that I was pregnant with twins. I was like, you know, and he said the same thing. I feel like this is not the best place anymore to raise kids. And we were getting tired. And we just said, if there's any place we could go, where would it be? And then he got an offer to come look at a, a prominent physician to head up a cardiovascular. And I was like, yeah, I could do Miami. Mean, why don't we try it out for a year? Mm-hmm. But, you know, we were like, I mean, I'm a diehard New York girl. So I was like, we're going to keep our apartment in New York. We're going to rent for a year. (laughs) So we did that whole, like, we're not sure. And it it was harder for him. He's Scottish Irish. He still can't speak a word of Spanish. For me, I felt very at home. I started getting into the language. And of course, my son, you know, was thriving at school here. And then we were, after a year, we're like, is this our place? And then the pandemic hit and we're like, Thank God we are in Miami and not New York because it was very difficult for our New York family and friends that are still there. My husband was at Columbia and Mount Sinai. A lot of that was the hotbed. You know, a lot of colleagues passed away. And it was just mm-hmm. a very difficult time. We felt very fortunate to be here. And then it really just became our home. And I really was pretty comfortable. I was like, I'm good, especially with, you know, the pandemic hitting and what was going on in the service industry, I was like, there's no way I'm opening up a restaurant right now. Like I was going to open up another Provo when I first got here. And I'm like, it's too difficult. I don't want to wait this out. It's, it's torture. And then I was doing very well. I'm the brand ambassador for Galbani cheese and I'm on TV and now I'm zooming from the today show from home because (laughs) that's the world we live in. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I was, my life is good. I'm taking care of my kids. And I was like, you know, if I'm going to do something, it really has to, like speak to me because I want to not just to open up a restaurant. I don't want to just open up to a restaurant to open up a restaurant, you know, because I literally lived two miles from this location. I came here for a yes, drink. Let's set the time. scene. So let's set the scene. Where yeah. where did you move to? I live in Pinecrest. Pinecrest, Florida. I grew up right there. So I know the area I live well. Pinecrest. Mm-hmm. I love it. Very happy. Pinecrest Gardens, Pinecrest Community Center. My kids go to school within like walking distance. I live in suburbia, very yep. happy. And you find this kids. location. So set the scene and for the location of what you found. I go here and two of my friends from New York, my alpha female friends that knew me when I drove a Lamborghini and before I had three kids and still couldn't believe I moved to Florida. 
where I say, oh, let's go. I hear that there's this little beachfront place. Let's go for a drink. Give them the like Miami feel. Mm -hmm. And we go for a drink and they're like, Donatella, like, you, when are you going to get back in the restaurant business? And I'm like, I was like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm like, I'm like, I mean, like a location like this. Yeah, I, I would take because there's so much potential. I can see it. But other than that, no. And then like months later, I'm at a soccer game and I meet uh, my partner, Ronnie Barreto's friend's wife, you know, knew who I was and said, they were asking me, where do you like to go? And I'm like, oh, there's nothing really that great. There's a lot of inconsistency in Miami, which I think that that's true about restaurants, but I understand it's the pandemic. And I was like, I was, you know, I like that place, Redfish, but it's been inconsistent. Like, actually, our partners are parting ways with the chef mm -hmm. and they'd love to meet you. And that's, I was like, okay, not thinking anything would come up. Just like, yeah. I'm interested. Like, yeah, whatever. I was like, I'll meet you. Sure. You know, I get these, mm -hmm. I get, everyone wants me to look at his face. I'm like, yeah. sure. And then they are like, we hit it off. My husband's like, you need to get back to work. I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> it's like, no, go. <laughs> I'm good. He's like, you can. And then I just, I really, we had more conversations, which led to more conversations. And here I am. I guess I had certain parameters. It needed to be close to my house mm -hmm. because I'm not dealing with Miami traffic. Because I'm a mother of young children, but I also knew that I'm the type of person that needs to be present. I needed to be inspired by the location. I just didn't want to open up a location. And I, I do as much as I do the, the quick pizza and the quick service. I am a fine dining kind of girl. That's, that's my background. I love service. Not that I'm making this a stuffy place. It's still going to have that neighbor casual feel, but a seriousness to hopefully the food and service. And, and yeah, I just, kind of how i'm here i honestly can't believe that i'm here right now that this yeah, so is for, happening for listeners, until i, I read the series. articles that just yeah. come back out and i'm like oh shoot this is really happening yeah you're really doing it and I'm so really i'm doing it you know and for listeners i want to set the scene because it's one of the most beautiful places in miami that a lot of people don't know about you know if yeah. you grew up here you it's know about it gem. so you have to go through matheson hammock park so go on if you're not driving pull over go look at this you'll see matheson hammock park and there's like a little jetty and it's a place i used to go to as a kid with like a little circular beach, but it shoots out into Biscayne Bay and you have views that are endless, amazing sunsets, sunrises, like everything you could imagine. And then you I'm have this beautiful, well, she's going to take us out. Let's go see it. And you have this beautiful restaurant that just kind of appears. It's so crazy. And now that you get to run it. And so how do you envision it being for you? Like I'm, I'm seeing you still have all the historic look. Can you see? I can the see. View? Oh man unbelievable it's definitely i'm upgrading the inside i doubled up the kitchen because the kitchen was tiny right, so, so how do you do that how do you make that exactly happen? how mm -hmm. you know this is a very difficult location because it's a hundred year old building so it's right. historical to coral gables so the, the most important thing is function first so it was a tiny tiny kitchen and you know there's 200 on the patio 60 inside and a rooftop so to you have to be able to service people well. So I doubled the size of the kitchen and made the inside smaller so that you can actually service people. So the most important thing is that you can cook food first and foremost, more than any right. pretty pictures. So mm -hmm. I really looked at the functionality of the space and how to create better service and service stations. And it's still a struggle because there we live on the water. Electricity is at a minimum. Things that are, you know, you don't find in other locations. So really focusing on first the food 
and service and consistency. And, 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 you know, it is difficult. We are living in a different world. It's a different market. A lot of people fled the hospitality industry. So just finding people to work is difficult and then training. So I hope to focus on inspiring people and finding people and training, 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 and hopefully it's hard. I'm not saying it's nothing, nothing's easy. It's very difficult. I'm fortunate to have great partners, Ronnie Beretta, who is a Miami native and who is, knows everything about Miami. That was very important to me because I know nothing about Miami. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been here for five years now though. So it's not like, I'm not like, you know, a New York chef that's just coming in quarterly for five days. I'm here. So that was important to me. And I'm making it as very personal. It's going to feel like a, you know, your Tulum, uh, a Bisa vibe, a lot of white, organic, but home. It should reflect the environment that you're in. I agree. And what's the menu going to be like? Coastal Italian. There's going to be a huge raw crudo bar. Nice. Um, I, I didn't understand when I came to Florida why so many restaurants, I was looking forward to the fish, had frozen fish on their menu. I didn't understand that. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, I, and there's not me, many seafood restaurants in Miami, which is for crazy. For me, <laughs> it follows Italian cuisine as ingredient first and seasonality. So it is Italian, but it's going to follow the local, much local ingredients of Florida and seasonality as well. And obviously, a lot of fish, a lot of, we make. I have a beautiful pasta machine all the, that are going to be making pastas, fresh pastas. There will be a great kids menu because I feel like kids menus are so neglected and we have a beautiful rooftop so for great private events there's a big wine scene here so i expect to do a lot of wine dinners mm-hmm. yeah i just italian i would say italian coastal cuisine but you're also going to have your steaks too you know because this is a tourist spot too yes people come here i mean i would say that there's three proposals a week and photo shoots and quinceaneras on the mm-hmm. beach every day and gender reveals. so it's a place where people come to celebrate and then they see the place and they want to have parties here so there's going to be a lot of special events. So just, I think the the biggest struggle is the space itself is tiny and you can't expand on it. You can't touch the exterior of it. So trying to make it functional. Mm-hmm. So the menu has to be very smart. You can't just have a big menu that you can't, you know, and space is at a premium. So that's, that's the struggle with this restaurant. Yeah. It's always but, been a challenge and then the flooding sometimes. So I hope that doesn't happen to you and they figure that out. So you'll be good over there. I mean, I you know. <laughs> Hurricane Emma shut this place down for five years. And, yep. and Rodney Barreto was the one that, I guess he grew up here too, and resurrected this place from underneath the yep. storm. So <laughs> I'm glad yeah. he did the hard work for me. And hopefully the hurricanes, I'm opening at the right time. Yes. King tides, the final king tide will be November 8th, where it floods the parking lot. And then and we're good. we're going, and I think we're good. Or maybe you say, hey, come look at it and have a drink and do a special with it, you know, and that's what you can do uh, the next apparently, uh Apparently, when the King Tides came, like, people just stayed and drank, so we can have a King Tide well, party. Could. I like that. I, I like the Miamians. They're not, like, it, it, the, the funniest part of me as a New Yorker is the first year I was here, it got, like, below 70 degrees, and I went to drop my son off, and the women were in furs, and I'm like, what, is it, <laughs> like, dress-up day? And then, like, the hurricane was coming, and everyone's like, it's fine. I'm like, do I leave? You know, like, uh, like, let's go. Ah. Water floods. We'll just get out. We'll take off our fancy shoes yeah. and we'll walk through the water. Yeah. Cold. Forget it. Like, oh my God. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, what? 65 degrees go. is freezing here. 65 degrees is freezing down here. Yeah. So, True. well, look, I love that you spent so much time with us, Chef Donatella, but I want to ask one more question. You've 
you've been all over the world, you've been on TV, you've opened ultra successful restaurants. But if young Donatella was joining your team today at Noma and she was starting out today, what advice would you give that person on your team? Oh my gosh, I've learned so many things. It doesn't be one I thing. I would say, I definitely, if you're not passionate about this business, get out right away. Don't do it just because, because you're not going to do it. And it's important to make money because we're in business to make money. So really understand that aspect of it. And I did not, I was not strong with numbers and systems. And now I am. And I think that's something that I mastered and it's very, very important to me. But I was just like, oh, I'll let somebody else do that. No bueno. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no bueno. Yeah. But and follow your passion and the money will follow. But watch your money. Watch your pennies and the dollars will follow because the, the restaurant business is about a million details every day, a puzzle that's falling apart that you have to put together every day. So, and everything counts. Always remember to take away a, a positive learning experience for everything that you do. You know, even if it was, it was hard, it was something you never want to do again. What did we learn? What did we learn? How did we grow from this? What did this add to us? you know, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, uh, you know, never, never forget that because I think that all these little things and all these experiences personally and professionally all kind of create who we are and, and evolve us and our skill set. Today, I'm very excited to have Jennifer Kaminsky, entrepreneur and social media marketing expert, and also co-founder of the two Korean girls restaurant concept, the two Korean girls name. Why is it two Korean girls? As you're writing this pitch deck out, how does that name get put down? You know, this is so funny. I've had people tell me that this is great. And then I've also had people tell me, you shouldn't tell people that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it. But I think it's awesome. And I, and I feel very proud of it. You know, so I get this concept deck put together. And in my head, again, too, thinking from a marketing perspective. Okay, we cannot just, we, 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 you know, we have to turn this in tomorrow. We can't just give it a name. We need to do testing. We need to see what's not trademarked. We need to we need to get like study groups. We you know da, 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 a million things that we need to do before we can even come close to thinking about naming it something. And then I said, you know what? Um, it's very common in like Korean culture that when you see things translated from Hangul into English, that it's very literal, and, and that they use a lot of naming very literally as well. You know. Like a restaurant that serves hot soup will just literally be called hot soup restaurant. And so I'm like, you know, let's just call it two. I'm going to put on here, you know, it, it, the big print was quick service bibimbap restaurant concept, small print um, by two Korean girls. Because I'm like, we are two Korean girls. So we'll just put that there. Tiny, very tiny. Maybe this is our parent company. And then we start a DBA and a da da da. <laughs> and then yeah and then we we sh like so then we show up and they have an agenda printed and the Winwood and then the Winwood Yard team is calling it to Korean girls and I'm like oh okay and then everyone is coming up to us and what a cool name that's so awesome like this is funny this is great we love the name da, 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 all these things and we're we who, is, who is the second Korean girl so my sister Michelle right yeah yes that's what makes so, it cool yeah yeah, so we're, so uh, I'm sitting there at this, you know, like we're waiting for our turn to go up and present. And as I'm sitting there, 
I'm like, shit, are these, is this IP even available? We're, and we're claiming the Instagram handle, checking GoDaddy to see if the URL is available. <laughs> like, yeah. what, is, what is going on? Like, oh my God, everything's available. Everything's available. Nothing's been used. Okay, this is a sign from the universe. Let's lean into this a little bit. Yeah, and so then that's what we did. And I've had so many people that are way more educated in the marketing, the science in the marketing and branding space that has come up to compliment us like on this and the the iconography around the branding and everything else and how, oh, it, it like, you know, hits all these points and it, it really, you know, da, 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 da. how long did it take you guys to develop this out? And, you know, did you hire like consultants and a branding team to, you know, devise the name and make sure they hit all these points and test groups? And I'm like, uh, no, it was just, <laughs> just we guessed <laughs> it was, um, I didn't have anything else to put there. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love that so story. Here, and so here we are. Yeah. As oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's fine. And I, and I think it, it, it brings people, I feel like I, when I see people like engage with it or see it for the first time, like, you know, they smile and they're happy about it. And, yeah. um, I think it, it, it brings people joy. And this is, I think this is part of the, the brand ethos, right? Is having more like, uh, interaction and, and connection. And we will be right back. I have personally used Treyway at the Eden Rock Hotel and Lowe's Miami Beach Hotel. Treyaway has finally solved the age-old problem of dirty room service trays cluttering the hotel hallways. It is affordable and easy to use. Guests and staff love it. They will even send you a free product kit so you can try it before you buy it. Use promo code TURK10 for a 10% discount on all Treyway products and services. And now, back to the show. So now you, you finish the pitch, but you still have a full-time job. Like, all right, you had some fun. You and your sister created this pitch deck. You got Chef Allen, who's great chef, liking it. But what happens next? Like, how does it go to the next step of actually start creating food? Because there was no food that day. It was just no. ingredients and pictures and an idea. So what happens after that? Yeah. So it was, I'd say it was stalled for probably about, uh, well, I use the word stalled, but it was on the back burner for about three years after that. Um, in that, in those. What was it, like 2016, 17? Like, when did you do that pitch? Yeah. So we, if we launched in 2020 and it was three years before 2017, so it's probably okay. like 2017 that we did that. And then, um, yeah, so it was on the back burner for a, a number of years. And, and during that time, the free time that I would have, I was developing out what is, what is the brand identity? What is the logo? What does this need to look like? So I was kind of very slowly kind of developing out what this should be. And then really, I think it was in like, uh, and, and very shortly after that, learning and reading more about ghost kitchens and dark kitchens. So this is 2018. And the idea of it was people did not have any idea about this. Um, and for me, I thought it was very cool because, and, you know, again, too, I'm, I'm like always thinking with a PR and marketing hat. And this is very cool because no one's talking about this or doing this. And so this is a awesome PR angle that I can, you know, leverage. Um, also too, it, it could potentially be an easier route or uh, less financial risk in terms of, of bringing this to life or at least bringing a proof of concept to life. So from the beginning, we, you know, really leaned into creating a digitally native brand um, and really thinking of how 
some of the more popular e-commerce brands that started out, you know, digital first, and then actually a lot of them went brick and mortar, like Glossier or Warby Parker. You know, how did how did they do it? What was you know the magic behind all of this? And so much of it was in um, the packaging and the experience that they created, uh, which was somewhat unheard of at the time. You know, e-commerce was 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 growing and it was taking off, but you know, you'd order something, it would come like some, you know, still in like wrapped in plastic, you know, with a receipt inside there and a, you know, undescript brown box and we're done here. You know, like you ordered, that's what you ordered. And I, and I think I'm sure there were others, but I feel like Glossier is one that just sticks out to me so much that really just created such an experience and a culture around their brand to the point where, you know, uh, millennial females and I'm sure males are ordering it just so that they can put it on their Instagram story. You know, it's coming in this awesome, thoughtful packaging. It's, you know, you feel like you're getting a present when it arrives and, uh, and, and everyone is just organically taking video of it and posting it to share on social media to see like my glossier package came and Mm -hmm. that was also too i think kind of starting that whole dawn of um like unpacking um, unboxing unboxing videos right um and so i and i thought oh my god like this is so like this is so cool you know if you're and if you're going to be a, a digitally native or ghost kitchen like type of restaurants we have to be doing the same thing, right? Because uh, if someone's coming into a restaurant, there's so many touch points for the experience. You know, it's the visual, you know, of the entry when they're coming in. There's the first person that talks to them or greets them. And then, you know, there's so many other touch points. Sound, inside. Smell, lighting. Yeah. Yep. Before you've even tasted the food, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that was a big part of, okay, well, this is, we, this is, we have to be able to do this in order to grow the brand, um, in order to get persons to support us and interested. Because in my head, I, I was like, okay, I've got my mother and her recipes, her sauces and seasonings she's been making and has, you know, cult-like following in her town, you know, of Korean food. The food's going to be on point. Not worried about that. I have Chef Allen um, who will make sure that, you know, we're running a successful operation. Yes, Everything is good. We're using highest quality ingredients, all these things. So um, I just need to, so I need to get the people in to taste the food. Yeah. So the, how the food was going to taste and what that was going to be, like the least of my concerns, because I knew that that was going to be solid. Uh, But that also too was kind of funny how that evolved as well, because then when it came full circle and it was time for us, you know, to launch, you know, we, you know, we were thinking digitally native third-party apps were always on the rise. And then when the pandemic happened, I mean, their numbers shot through the roof in terms of um, of usage and, and what that was looking like. So it seemed like an opportunity uh, in the sense that if there were ever a time for us to test out this proof of concept is, you know, and, and have people that are so captively ordering takeout and delivery, now might be the time. Um, and so that's kind of what like brought it full circle to like, okay, it's time. <laughs> so 2020. Before mm-hmm. the pandemic or during the pandemic, you decide to launch a digitally native restaurant or ghost brand or virtual brand? Yeah, during. So I think it was probably like that summer I had just given, you know, we, I had had, I had the branding and everything kind of solidified. Okay. Um, this is done and ready. We've got, 
you know, we, we didn't, we weren't doing anything on social media. We didn't have content and it wasn't kind of didn't make sense, but we had all of the, we had all the things that we needed in terms of digital identity. Yeah. And so then summer, okay. I think this, I think this could, the timing could be right. And so then that was when we officially engaged Chef Allen to help us with this. And I remember our first meeting and he asked, okay, what's on the menu? And I said, we're quick service. We want to, it's like this quick service feed in thought concept. It's okay. Well, what else is on the menu? Like nothing else is on the menu. We don't need anything else on the menu. We, (laughs) we only, we just need this. It's just this one, this one thing. This is all, this is all we need to sell. We don't have to sell anything else. He's like, um, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You can't open a restaurant like that. So let's start with that. Oh, all right. Okay. All right. We'll go back to the drawing board. So, um, so we spent some time, uh, with my mother developing out some different bowl concepts um but i'm still keeping the menu very concise and i think um you, doing this, you can't do this in person right because during the pandemic is she in person or is this on computer like how are you coming up with these no, this was, yeah this was, well so a lot of it was virtual um uh, but mm-hmm. then when we had to do actual like recipe and menu testing like i flew to indiana uh, and we worked out of her kitchen and um with chef allen too no chef allen Right. Yeah. So, so it was just, uh, give you some homework says we need some more recipes. You can't open up yep. with one bowl. Yeah. You need, I know. Right. <laughs> right. You can't open one bowl. So <laughs> give me some more recipes and we'll talk. So you go back yep. to the lab, you get in the lab yep. with the mom. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And we, we developed out, uh, a five, five different bowls. Um, so the original, uh, pecan bop bowl, one with fish, one with impossible meat, uh, one with spicy chicken, uh, one we're using like this uh, vegan lentil protein. So a um, couple of plant-based bowls and sorting out as well too. Okay, what are the snacks? What else is going to be on here? Yeah, I started went to work on it from that. And then uh, we had an awesome opportunity to uh, share someone's kitchen in Coconut Grove so that we could test out the concept. And when we met, uh, you know, he says to me, Oh, I want to come back. I'm going to come back. So that's an exciting oh. part. So I'm going to come back. So you get your food, you got the menu, right? Uh-huh. So, all right, mom, we got it. Chef Allen, you like this menu? Is that kind of how it goes? And he goes, yeah, I could work with this. Or is he like, all right, we're getting there. A little bit of both. Okay. I think he was, I think he was happy with that. It was simple. It was, there was a lot of cross utilization. Um, the focus still was very much on, you know, fresh ingredients, um, and, uh, and, and just very, just like simple seasonings that were authentic, I think, to the culture, mm-hmm. uh, but that were just, it, you know, focused more on um, quality and flavor, right? Uh, you get your menu, so was, you, you all agree. Yeah, he was happy. Mm-hmm. And then we say, all right, I think we got to cook this somewhere. I can't do it in my house. Right? So <laughs> what happens next? How do you find this kitchen? Yeah. So Chef Allen was, he was really instrumental in, in helping us sort out what would be the right place and space for us, considering our stage and time and budget and things of where we're at. And so um, we had an opportunity to share a kitchen in Coconut Grove. Uh, and the chef that was there, when, when we had our, and I had sent, like he had seen our menu and, you know, we'd shared and we're kind of talking and we're, we're having conversation, you know, to kind of move it forward and we're probably like timeline wise, maybe, maybe 30 or 45 days from when we would like to go live. 
And he mentions, um, you know, have you thought of doing a Korean fried chicken? People really like Korean fried chicken. And I was like, no, um, because my, our, our mom never made that for us. Yeah. yeah. Like our mom doesn't make Korean fried chicken. And I was like, also too, like that's, and it's like, you know, it's, it's a new thing. Like, it's like, it became popular because of actually because of America, you know, it's, it's why it's popular. And then it became super popular because of K-drama. I was like, ah, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure. You know, let me think I, yeah. about it. I just wanted my one bowl and Chef Allen made me do the rest of this. Okay? <laughs> yeah. And now you want me to do chicken. What is going on? But I think as well, too, it's we, everything we were designing needed to travel well. And there's nothing more disappointing than ordering fried food via delivery and it's showing up, you know, soggy. And uh, so I was like, I'd rather we just don't. We just didn't. But uh, we went to, I was like, we'll try, we'll test. So I was actually testing it in my kitchen, you know, different methods and different ways of of how we might prepare it um, that was authentic um, to the style, um, but also to would fit what we needed for delivery. And, uh, and then I think we got something and then, um, implemented and implemented it into the menu before we launched, but yeah, but it was, it wasn't even, it wasn't even in our first round, our first photo shoot that we did because it wasn't even on the menu. It was twinkle in our eye, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so you've, you've got your menu. I want to make sure I get this. You got your menu, you've got your mm-hmm. kitchen, all right. Mm-hmm. And you've signed up for Uber Eats and I guess DoorDash and things like that yep. to make sure that you could sell with, and you put your address and the pictures on there. So I know you with the marketing eye, everything looked good. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to tell listeners really about the first, like I met you, so we'll get to that part of the story, but your packaging, was it always how it looked when I met you or was it something that you built on? Similar. Yeah. Okay. So actually I have what the original packaging looked like. So it was still the same like square happy meal type box. The design wasn't as developed as the next version of it. Got it. Yeah. So for, yep. for listeners, I would just tell you, if you're driving, don't do this now. But if you're walking, pull up your Instagram, <laughs> take a look at their, the two Korean girls on Instagram. You'll see what we're talking about because it, it leads me to my next question. So you've got everything signed up. You've got this awesome packaging and you go live. Do you remember day one? Yeah. What happens? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It was definitely like a, I mean, I don't know what I expected. So I shouldn't say like, oh, it's nothing like I had expected, right? But, um, you know, just because you go live on the platforms means nothing um, because it's it, you're, like you don't have enough built up behind behind your algorithm and your listing for it to even show up that you're even in the area. There was times we were even searching it. Um, but yeah, that first day we opened and we had it, we did have a small email list. And so, you know, we had, and friends and we were, promoting it on social media and targeting on social media. I think we probably did maybe five, six orders that first, that first night we opened. How many of them were your friends? Probably all of them. (laughs) Probably, probably all of them. And I'm like, is it on? Is it not working? Is the store closed? Did we accidentally close the store online? Like what's happening? What's going on? And so we're like, okay, that's okay. But, um, yeah. And I, and I remember too, like, you know, we're all in the kitchen and, you know, we've got the, you know, the bump screen and everything yeah. is up. Yeah. Printers up. And the first, the, and we're just kind of, okay, 
you know, it's, we open at five o'clock. It's five o'clock. Nothing happens. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, it's five o'clock. It's whatever. And then I think it was probably 20 or 30 minutes later, that first order comes in. And we're, oh my, oh my God, you guys, you guys, everybody, everybody, everybody. Like, we did it. We did we, it. We, we did it. We did it. Oh my God, it's here. We did it. We did it. And Chef Allen's like, okay, well, now you got to make the food. Like, make the like, no. <laughs> We're like, oh yeah, that's right. Okay, all right, good thinking. And it was you. Were you making it? Was yeah, you guys we, making it? Yeah, we we had a we had a chef that was working with us that was uh, doing a lot of things like on like the the hotline and a lot of our prep work and, and working alongside us. But uh, we were very much in the kitchen, you know, building the bowls, packaging the things, working with the chef, and then packaging and putting everything together and doing the handoff. And you're like, you know, don't because... mess this box up, delivery driver. <laughs> right. <laughs> We didn't know. We, I think it's, uh, you know, we, we, the, the only doubt or, uh, I think that we ever had was whether or not Korean food would be something that the Miami market would want, you know, because mm -hmm. for so long, there's not a whole lot of options here. And is that by, is that, is there a reason why? Is it because the market just doesn't want it? You know, it's not a thing. So that was very exciting. It was really awesome. And, um, I think it was really important for us to be, um, in there and, and doing this hands-on because I think uh, we're, this is a whole new space of, of really just being in a complete, you know, ghost kitchen, you know, digitally native space. It was important that we were there to see and feel and go through all of the things that we needed to go through. Yeah. So uh, for listeners, I just want to clarify ghost kitchen. How would you explain a ghost kitchen to someone who doesn't know what that is? Sure. It, it's a restaurant concept that lives 100% online. So there is no storefront. Um, you can't go sit down. You can't dine in there. You can't walk up and order usually. You can only order off of their website or off of Uber Eats, DoorDash, Grubhub. One of these. Things. Got it. Perfect. And I love this idea and I was obsessed with it at that time. So before the pandemic even hit, I was building out a concept at the Lowe's Miami Beach Hotel, which they wouldn't let me do. And so I remember thinking all these other restaurants doing it. I was like, man, I, I need to do something like this. So you're doing it for a while. And what happens? You start growing because you're doing well. More orders start coming in. And then when you and I met, I'm curious because I think that was like, you still were Ghost Kitchen. And we met June of 2021. Yeah. Yeah. So, yep. So things are going well there at the kitchen, you know, growing nicely for a ghost kitchen. We had some amazing partners we were working with that were helping now operate and execute. So, uh, you know, so I wasn't going to the grocery store every day. <laughs> we were, we, we were running out of food and, and, and running to the grocery store every day. Um, you know, I think it, it was probably about a, uh, it felt like a very long six six or six or seven months of I think finding that rhythm but it was I think it was all very like you know worthwhile in terms of getting there and then we had an amazing operator and partner um that was handling all of those things and so uh that was when you know for us we felt like okay we feel like the proof of concept is is developed uh Miami has spoken they like us okay, cool. What's next for the evolution of the brand? And so, um, and again, too, I think like a lot of, and, and not to say that we're, you know, we're, we're fully there just yet, but, but now it's okay. Well, maybe we should look at an in-person experience. Maybe now we go brick and mortar. 
you know, we go in the other direction. So we tested that out um, actually in Chicago as well. So we did a six-month pop-up there um, at a place that you could go sit down and have full service and cocktails and everything else. And then, um, and then, yeah, and then actually I think it was, I was chatting with Linda about some other things um, that were happening like with the agency side and with the Lowe's and an event and all, all of the, 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 the. And Linda is director of public relations for Lowe's Miami Beach Hotel and other Lowe's. So shout out to Linda. Yeah. Linda's awesome. She's awesome. And yeah, and she's, you know what? Congratulations on two Korean girls. Like we should, we should talk about doing something together. And I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. And then, um, and so then, oh, okay. Maybe this is, this is another opportunity for us to test coming full circle. So yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that that was that was how we connected. That's how we that's how we met. Yeah. yeah so on my side, I remember it pretty clear because Linda's like, you know, she knew that I wanted to do more ghost kitchen type stuff. She's like, hey, you can oh, talk to my okay. friend. They have this restaurant called Two Korean Girls. I'm like, what? What name is it? What are you talking about? <laughs> and she's like, just check them out. Just you should meet them. And I remember reaching out to you all, and we set up this meeting. And then for listeners, I I just wanted to explain kind of how this goes down. So. Jennifer and her sister, the two Korean girls show up and I didn't real realize it was two sisters and they come in with Chef Allen. So the James Beard award winning chef with them. We walk into our signature restaurant and, you know, I have the hotel manager and the GM's like, Steve, this is a crazy idea. I'm not even going to join you for this, like have some fun kind of thing. But then you all show up, beautiful packaging. I still remember the packaging to this day. I kept it in my office at that hotel. Oh yeah, that's right. I remember. And... <laughs> I remember opening, this is where I think people can learn from of how important branding is because you only lived online. There's no place for you to go and see it, but your box told your story. And when you opened up the box, they even had Korean newspapers that were the wrapper for the food. And I still remember that choice that you all made because I felt like I was taken to a place in Korea because I saw that, that daily newspaper from that city or wherever it might be. I just remember thinking that. And then when I got to the food, everything was beautifully packaged. You know, it was very fun. They had, you know, egg on the bowl, but it was shaped in a heart and there was star glitter on it and <laughs> all these fun things that come along with the food. And I remember inviting the gym. I said, you got to come down and just see this. And he stayed the whole, he ate everything. He <laughs> from going, everything. <laughs> or I'm not going to do anything to eating everything. He's like, all right, Steve, go for it. Go make something happen. And so I always was slightly bummed that, yes, I became an entrepreneur again. And I didn't get to see your project all the way through on my end, but I did see some photos that you guys made it there uh, in the end, but I wish I would have been there with you all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Same, same. No. Yeah. The Lowe's team is is awesome. They're super great. We had so much fun. We did uh, the Korean New Year celebration there with you guys. I was, uh, that was a really good time and such a great staff and, yeah. and, and beautiful place. But, so you kept, you kept growing it and tell us what you're doing now with the brand. Sure. So, um, so we are still growing from a ghost kitchen standpoint. Um, actually, I think we're launching um, a, a kitchen next week with our operating partner in Brickell. Um, so we'll be operating out of Edgewater and Brickell in terms of ghost kitchen location. And then we also have a pop-up uh, brick and mortar at the Shelbourne Hotel in South Beach. And so that's been a lot of fun because that's been, that's, we've, you know, had a place we can actually invite people into um, create events and like do other things and really kind of, um, be in closer contact with people as well in terms of creating hospitality and an experience, uh, rather than, you know, 
um, seeing something online and having a, a, a totally virtual conversation. You know, the food is going, you know, from the kitchen, 50 feet being sat that we can actually, how is everything, what's going on, you know. But, so I think it's been really rewarding. It's been great. Uh, I think that um, it also too kind of gives us a lot of proof in in wanting to move forward with a brick, uh, with a, uh, other brick and water locations as well. And so we're in development for that now. I love it. I'm, I'm proud of you because, you know, I've seen it. Not from the beginning, but I feel like pretty early on to where you are now. I love seeing the, all the pretty. That was very, very early on. <laughs> yeah, I love seeing where you're at now. And so, you know, Jennifer, you've given so much time and information that I think a lot of people will learn from. But I want to ask you a question. So if you were going back to young Jennifer at the Ponderosa filling up the buffet and she happened to be on your team right now, starting out in hospitality, what advice would you give young Jennifer if she was starting today? You know, I would just say, try to find the, the, always remember to take away a, a positive learning experience from everything that you do. You know, even if it was, it was hard, it was shitty, it was something you never want to do again. What did we learn? What did we learn? How did we grow from this? You know, what did this add to us, you know, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, uh, you know, never, never forget that because I think that all these little things and all these experiences, personally and professionally, all kind of create who we are and, and evolve us and our skill set. And so I think being able to appreciate uh, the good, all the good and the bad things that you learn and come along the way, it just makes such, it makes such a difference. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome. 